I felt like I had just been kicked in the stomach and stabbed through the heart. I was so stunned I couldn't speak or think or breathe. Hey there, welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story and the people that craft and tell them. Each week, a storyteller will tell one of their stories and then break it down with me, Sean. Why you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories. Also, we want to help you our listeners craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. New episodes are released every Friday, and we really appreciate your interest in this podcast. Season two got started last month, and the entire season is dedicated to women, women storytellers, and their stories. As always, we've got a lot of stuff going on, classes and events. I'll put that information in the show notes. I will remind all of our listeners, please, I know I say this a lot. If you listen on Apple, help us out. Maybe do it right now. Pause this podcast. Pause my voice. Scroll down and rate and review this podcast. Diane DiNapoli is joining me. Diane lives up in Massachusetts. She was actually one of Kurt's students, if you remember, Kurt, my podcast partner for season one. Well, he teaches. He's a great teacher. And it shows. Diane, one of his students, is sharing one of her stories. This is some really interesting stuff. Check it out. Diane is known as the Penguin Lady. I'm not kidding. She is the Penguin Lady. She's a penguin expert. And she's done all sorts of cool stuff, like talked for TED and written books. Something about Diane's story that really, really reached me, really connected with me was her honesty. And so that's something that we will talk about today. And though Diane is not at all new to stages or speaking, she is relatively new to the world of story. And so I'm really pumped to have her on the podcast, to have a conversation with her about this story. So... Diane DiNapoli, let's dive in. Hi, Diane. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great, thanks. When did you take Kurt Kurt Mullen? We call him a senior contributor. It's a fancy name for the Grit Podcast. And he's a great teacher, I think. When did you take his class? So I took his class in January. So okay. that was the first storytelling class I've taken. That was, a, it was either a four or five week class once a week in January. I think I had been introduced to Kurt through the month before the Actors Studio in Newburyport had a story slam, virtually, of Mm -hmm. course. And Mm -hmm. so I attended it. And I think that's the first story slam uh, for them that I had attended. And you won that one, actually, I think. Oh, I Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and he's not just a podcast host. (laughs) Right. Right. And uh, and so Kurt, I think they mentioned that Kurt was going to be teaching a storytelling class next month. And so 
I said, I'm going to sign up for that because this is a format I've never done before. And I want to learn more about it because I do enjoy stories. I enjoy the moth. I enjoy, you know, Ted, all these sort of short or shorter story forms. So yeah, that was the first class. I'm curious, Diane, what's one thing you remember from that class that really stood out? Something new, something that you hadn't considered about story? I think. I think the first thing that jumped out at me as we started to sort of construct our stories and, you know, from week to week was that less exposition, <laughs> you know, I, I think I, my opening paragraph, I was trying to get too much in there and explain too much background and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, okay. Cause you only have, you know, what, five to seven minutes. So, absolutely, um, you know, and I knew about editing and cutting and making things shorter, but it, it took me a little bit to sort of figure out, okay, what really is extraneous in here and what does the listener not need to know for right. me to open this story up? It's hard. It can yeah. be hard. <laughs> I think it still needs improvement. I mean, I, you know, I've. We'll, we'll talk about that if yeah. you're open to it. Sure. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that the less exposition, particularly in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need to give us all the, it's almost like saying before I start the story, you need to know this. And I always think, no, we don't. <laughs> not if you do it, not if you can craft in a way where we don't need to know it before because you've opened your mouth. It's like a speech though, right? Where the moment you open your mouth on a stage, you've started. Mm -hmm. Let's have a listen to your story and how you started and the rest of it. And then afterwards, we will break it down. You know those mothers and daughters who are truly best friends? They talk every day and confide in each other. They go shopping together and out to lunch. My mother and I never did any of that. In fact, until I was in my mid-twenties, I truly hated my mother. She drove me crazy. She was super high-strung and controlling and volatile and was always yelling. And by the time I was six, we were fighting all the time. My dad, on the other hand, was my refuge and my advocate. He was affectionate and was always calm and level-headed, and he almost never raised his voice. So when he did, you knew he meant business, so you paid attention. And he said something to me when I was around 14, that shook me to my core. He just picked me up from a friend's house, and when he pulled into the driveway, he didn't get out of the car. He turned to me and said, I need to speak with you about something, which was very unusual. He then told me that he couldn't take much more of the constant fighting between my mother and me. He said he was sick and tired of coming home from a long day at work only to walk in the door and be met every single day by the sound of us screaming at each other. And then he dropped a bomb. He said, if your mother and I ever get a divorce, it will be your fault. <sighs> I felt like I had just been kicked in the stomach and stabbed through the heart. I was so stunned I couldn't speak or think or breathe. And 
for weeks afterwards, I sobbed uncontrollably. In his entire life, that was the only hurtful thing my father ever said to me. But I still remember it like it was yesterday. About a year later, my folks shipped me off to boarding school, which I was actually psyched about because it meant I'd finally be away from my mother. 30 years later, after she had died, my dad and I were out sailing one day and he turned to me and said, you know why I sent you to prep school, right? I said, yeah, to get a better education. No, he said, that's not why. I sent you away to keep you and your mother from killing each other. Oh, I said, smart move, dad. And while we were laughing about it then, he was only half joking. You see, sometime between that conversation in the driveway and when he'd sent me away, I had actually threatened my mother with a knife. I can see the moment in my mind's eye to this day. We were standing in the kitchen between the stove and the sink, and I must have been cutting vegetables because I had a carving knife in my hand. And the fight we were having had escalated to such an intense level that I was literally shaking with rage, and I felt completely out of control. And in that moment, I really wanted to stab her. But I was frozen. And then this one thought hit me. Oh, if I kill her, I'll get sent to prison. Shit. And that was the only thing that stopped me from stabbing my own mother. Now, I don't want y'all to worry about me. I have never had another homicidal thought in my life, and I no longer have those anger issues. And I now realize that my dad, he actually saved all three of us when he sent me to boarding school. So 10 years later, I was living with two close friends who were both hardcore drinkers, and someone suggested I go to Al-Anon, which is for friends and family of alcoholics. So off I went. And at my third meeting, a woman was sharing her story. And I never saw that woman again. So she will never know this, but she literally changed my life that day. She was talking about growing up with an alcoholic father and was describing how his drinking had affected her and how it still did, even though he was long gone. And the more she spoke about her personality and behavior, the more she sounded exactly like my mother. And I suddenly realized why my mother was the way she was. She wasn't just crazy. Her father was an alcoholic too. And clearly his drinking had shaped who she was and how she behaved. And I suddenly saw my mother as her own person with her own life and traumatic childhood, not just as my mother. And for the first time in my entire life, I felt 
compassion for her. For the first time, I had some understanding of who she was and why. And for the first time, I began to accept her as she was. In that very moment, the healing of my relationship with my mother began. And while we still never went shopping or out to lunch together, thanks to a stranger in Al-Anon, 18 years later, I was at my mother's bedside holding her hand and telling her how much I truly loved her as she took her very last breath. Is this something you you crafted for the class or had you been working on it in some form or version prior to? I never had. Actually, what sparked it, I could tell you exactly what it was, was when I did attend that Actors Studios virtual story slam in December, uh, one of the storytellers, I believe Julie Baker, her story sparked a memory. So she was talking about, you know, experience with Al-Anon and AA, Mm -hmm. and it made me think, and and the theme for that month was acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so they had, you know, maybe five or six storytellers. And then they say, hey, if anybody has like a one minute story in between, if, you know, this sparked anything you want to share. And it did. It sparked this memory of sort of how, you know, I'd had this horrible relationship with my mother for the first half of my life. And mm-hmm. then how going to Al-Anon, because I was living with a couple alcoholic friends, how that changed my relationship with my mother. And it, it taught me how to accept her. And so I told that one minute story at the end. And then when I signed up for the class with Kurt in January, uh, he mentioned that the theme for the story, the next story slam at the actor's studio was second chances. And I went, oh, this story is also definitely a second chance story. And so Mm -hmm. I want to work on this now and expand this into a larger five to seven minute story. So that's how the whole thing came about. In Kurt's class, you had said that one of the things you tried to undo, so to speak, is a lot of exposition, particularly at the top. So the way this story starts, you dive right into moms and daughters and you don't hold back. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you say, I hated my mother. You're not tiptoeing around this. No, I'm not. Right. You make it very, very clear how you feel about your mom. And then you move into your dad, who was different than your mom, and then the bomb, which is in... I think within a minute, we get to this big moment of things don't work out. It's your fault. Yes. Okay. So why do you start that way? Where to start and how to start is sometimes some of the biggest questions people struggle with with story. Well, I think I started with the, yeah, I hated my mother. Yeah. Because that really, that was my experience. The first half of my life, it's really how I felt about her. And and because it's a story of the transformation of that relationship, ultimately at the end, I thought it was important to really start like, here's the stakes are kind of high. Like this was serious. <laughs> this was not just like, oh, we didn't get along. It was serious. And, and the story that I then followed up with about my dad and the contrast between mm-hmm. my relationship with them, mm-hmm. I, I included that because I felt it, it really 
spoke to how bad things were for my father to say this thing that was so hurtful and so uh, out of character for him. I think it just sort of highlights this is how bad things really were. Mm. It felt that way, which presumably was your goal. Mm -hmm. And so you had said something that I want to circle back to about the end and how knowing where you're going at the end informs how you how and where you start mm -hmm. so the end of the story and they've heard the story we're not giving anything away you are able to be with your mom as she passes starting not there has built intention this narrative arc to move towards yeah mm -hmm. i always think it's super challenging say i know what the i know the end i've decided i think on my beginning but now i've got to set different moments or scenes in between to sort of connect all the dots and I think for a lot of people that can be frustrating. What was that like? This is a bit of a broad question, but what was that process like for you to figure out how these scenes connect? I have to be honest, I'm a very stream of consciousness writer and I, I'm a, I write. You yeah. know, this wasn't a story that I spoke into a tape recorder. I mean, I will do that at point at times like, oh, I want to remember this or that and say it this way. But typically I just sit down and start writing. Yeah. And I just sat down and wrote it out. Okay. And, and it, it did not change a lot from what I originally wrote. And for me, I think, you know, certain memories spark others and, and it just sort of flowed very naturally in the order that you, know, you we ultimately see like uh, the beginning change a little bit, like I said, from feedback. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it just was sort of a stream of consciousness thing. Cause I think for a lot of people, stream of consciousness particularly, I guess, if they're newer to some of this stuff, they go chronological. That's like the default. And I always say, I think, do, do that unless you have a reason not to. I think you had a reason not to, which was a great choice. And I think for some people, it would be challenging to do it that way. You have to be careful making sure that when you bounce around, it's easy to get a little bit lost, but you don't lose us. So good. <laughs> yeah. Unlike I'm doing right now. So was that conscious for you? In, in other words, all right, I'm going a couple different places. Let me be, think about how my audience might be in processing this or receiving this, or did you just sort of do it when it worked? I, I think there's a little bit of both. I think typically when I'm writing out a story or, you know, something like this, uh, I just sort of write it out. It comes out onto the page and then I will go back when I'm editing, when I'm rethinking it and reworking it. And it's just, it's, I have to say it's more of an intuitive process of this would make, this paragraph would make more sense if it was before that paragraph. So right. there is, there definitely is going back and, and reworking the structure a bit so that this would be more clear if I talk about this here instead of there. And so there is some going back after I kind of get that initial story on the page and trying to make sure it's going to make sense to the listener. Right. I'm glad that you think about that. Yeah. I don't think everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> Having that awareness, it's, yeah. You had said earlier that it may not be finished or perhaps there could be places that you could change. Mm -hmm. So do any, uh, what, what areas might you tweak if you were to, craft or recraft this for whatever reason? I feel like my opening still, I could work on and change. And uh, yeah, there's like two places where I'm like, 
I feel like we could still use a little tweaking. What about the opening would you want to change? Well, I initially start when I first wrote it. Yeah. I initially started with for the first half of my life, I truly hated my mother. Uh-huh. And I felt that was very strong, like, whoa, like that might get your attention. But then afterwards, I think when I kind of was writing the whole story. I felt as though I wanted something to tie in the beginning and the end because I love stories and comedians who do this too, I think are brilliant, where they start with a story, a, you know, something, and then at the very end, they kind of circle back to it in this very clever way. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt as though I wanted to do that somehow. And so that's why I, I added before the I hated her was the mother and daughter thing and going shopping together and doing this and doing that because then I circled back to that. Well, we never quite got there, but. Right, right. And so that's why I changed the beginning. And I think part of me too went, oh, is that too intense? I hated my mother. Is that like, is that going to make people go, whoa, wait a minute. And so I wasn't sure about right. that. And, yeah. there, and there may be people who do respond that way. I appreciate when people are super honest. Sometimes there's, I hear stories where they're very, like this, where it's like, whoa, and you get the sense that it's not entirely honest, that they're doing it for the sake of wow moments. I don't get the sense that you did it that way. And I, so I really appreciate when people are that honest and don't hold back. Did you have second thoughts of either sharing such honesty and such, it's intense, mm-hmm. hating your mother. You, you shared with us, if I kill her, dot, 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 came out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. About your mom. There will be people that immediately are like, oh my God, what's wrong with her? Yes. But you still did it. Was that difficult? That was scary as hell, to be yeah. honest. It was because it it is an intense story. And the part where I say I wanted to stab her, but then I realize, oh, if I do, I'm going to end up, if I kill her, I'll go to prison which is the only thing that stopped me from doing it. And so hang on one sec. So not, and I, but it's just honest. And I think that's what people appreciate because most people, a lot of people have this, these things or something like it, but they're never going to be so open about it. They need the Diane's of the world. <laughs> Seriously. And they'll push back, but they're like, oh man, that's so true. You, you didn't say if I stab her, I will feel awful. No. You didn't say if I stab her or if I kill her, my dad won't love me. You didn't say any of that. You said, I'll. So it's this moment of truth and honesty and selfishness. Yes. Yeah. And But that's how you Self-preservation. Yeah. Are there people in your life who you wouldn't want to hear this story? That, you know, that's so interesting. Until you just asked me that about my father being alive and people, I immediately thought of his baby sister and my cousins. And I hadn't thought about my relatives, other than my brother, hearing this story before. What I had thought about and why I felt it was scary to share such an awful thing about myself, you know, Mm -hmm. was the clients that I have. I teach little children. I go into schools and teach children about penguins, right? And so for me, the fear of sharing that publicly is how are some of these current and potential future clients going to view me? Are they going to go, she's a psycho. I'm not hiring her. Right. You know, so that is a genuine, a bit of a concern that I have, but I also realized from listening to other people's stories that when 
we can be completely transparent and open and vulnerable. It moves other people. It, it connects us. It makes us realize we're not the only one who thought that or felt that way or did that. And, and so I think, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing, but it doesn't mean it's not scary to do it sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. What I found so interesting when I first shared this story was Kurt in particular, his response to it, which wasn't what I sort of exactly intended. And so for me, you know, it was a story about second chances and, and healing a relationship. For me, I think I was hoping maybe someone will, you know, hear this and realize maybe there's some hope for me and my relationship with my parent or whoever it might be. Right. But what he got out of it when, and he said several times was empathy. Mm -hmm. And I went, Oh, that wasn't exactly what I was even, I wasn't even thinking about that word. So it was so interesting to me that maybe what I intended, maybe some people will receive that from it, but some people are going to hear and feel something completely different and unintended, which is kind of a magical thing, really. Yeah, it really is. Right. And there might be other people out there who hear it and have a different mm -hmm. response. Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment towards the end of your story where you step out of your story and you do something that is interesting. It's a, I think speakers do this often. Now. I don't want y'all to worry about me. I have never had another homicidal thought in my life and I no longer have those anger issues. Why did you do that? I wanted to lighten it up a little bit. A little mm -hmm. bit of humor was my, I think, initial, my, my real reason for kind of putting that there. And also to let my audience know I'm okay. You don't have to worry about me. Like, right. Because right. you don't want your audience to be like, oh my God, like, you know, is she okay? Like, so to to not have them thinking about that, bring it back to this, like, everything's fine. No worries. We're good now. Right. That's more awareness on your end. I think of thinking about your audience and okay, I, I might not want them going in that direction, which they may go if I don't do this thing. So maybe I'll do that thing and right. we'll, be, we'll be together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is one tip or piece of advice you could give to storytellers, especially perhaps storytellers who are newer or just getting started? I think, and this goes way back to my aquarium days where, you know, I was 20 years ago at the aquarium and I had to do, and I, I will tell you, I, until that job was absolutely terrified of public speaking. Mm. Couldn't even do oral reports in school as a student. I would be shaking and my throat would close up. I mean, terrified. Wow. Yeah. And and so for that job, I almost didn't apply for the job because I knew part of it would involve public speaking, mm -hmm. but I wanted the job with the animals. I want, you know, so I'm like, I just have to work through this fear. And so in the beginning, I would sort of memorize a speech and just repeat it, you know, mm -hmm. and over time, as I came, became more knowledgeable about the birds and more experienced and more passionate about them, I could start to ad lib and then it became more fun. And, and you know, when you're passionate about something and knowledgeable about it, it's much easier to talk about it. And then I had to start training other people how to give these talks. And the biggest, the best piece of advice I can give to anybody, whether they're, you know, doing a, a long lecture or a short story or whatever it is, is to rehearse it. Yes. And, right. I mean, rehearsal. I think is, so. Yeah, it's huge. And it doesn't mean 
rehearsing it in your head or reading it over and over. It means rehearsing it out loud. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, the first time you say it out loud, and if you're on mic, you're going to be like, whoa, like the sound of your own voice is going to freak you out. So, and there's something about that muscle memory too of, of rehearsing it out loud that I think is, I think it's just really, really important because when you write something and I've had this happen, I might write something and I really love the way it sounds on the page. And then when I start speaking it out loud, I keep tripping over a certain thing or a phrasing just doesn't sound natural Mm -hmm. and it works on the page. Mm -hmm. But when I start doing it out loud, I'm like, that's not how I would speak you know, or that tripping over that. So I have to change that. So I think that's another important part about rehearsing out loud is you figure out something like this might work. This might not really work. I have to change that. When people think, oh, he's such an, he or she's just such a natural, they've probably rehearsed it 50 times. Mm -hmm. That's why they seem like a natural. Yeah. Or a hundred times. And you just said something too, which I think is important. And this is something I did for my TEDx talks was to rehearse in front of other people and get their feedback. Yeah. Because the first time I did that, like I thought, you know, I knew my story was too long and I had a cut. I'm like, okay, so I, and I asked for very specific feedback. What can I cut? What was confusing? What didn't make sense? What do I need? And there were things that they were like, I was so confused when you talk about this. I'm like, really? Like it didn't even occur to me because Mm -hmm. I know the story so well that, it needed more exposition at that point, or, you know, uh, that might've been confusing. So to rehearse, even if it's just a small invited audience of a few friends, I think that can be very important as well in, in clarifying your story or fleshing it out or whatever it needs. Definitely. Do you have a favorite storyteller? I will tell you the first time I heard Moth Radio, hmm I like sat in my car and cried. <laughs> it was Alan Rabinowitz. He told a story about tracking jaguars, black jaguars in the forest, but he it's juxtaposed with the story of him being a severe stutterer. And I have a cousin who was a severe stutterer. So I think, and, and I love animals. So I think in two ways it resonated for me, but it's such a beautifully crafted story and just such a powerful story. And so it's one of my favorite stories. Um, and in recent times, you know him. I just listened to your interview with him, Richard Munchkin. Oh yeah, Richard, of course. You he, So you've heard him in a couple different places. Yeah. And, and there's something about the way he tells a story that is so compelling. And what I think for me, I was trying to think like, what is the element that mm-hmm. I love so much? And I think is that he has so much heart. Hmm. there's just, there's just something beautiful about his stories and the way he tells them and unexpected, like it kind of goes someplace Mm -hmm. I'm not expecting. So yeah, I think he, in terms of somebody in recent times that I've listened to, I I love his stories. Your story made me think among other things about my own relationship with my mother, who's still alive, but we're um, essentially, we have no relationship. I have very strong feelings as many children do for their parents and it's very conflicted, but there is a lot of negative feelings in the last X number of years though. I've thought, okay, you know, what kind of pain was she in that she did those things or said those things, you know, when you're a kid, it's like, you're just not a nice person. You're a bad person. You shouldn't have been a mother on and on and on. And at some point it's like, okay, maybe she was dealing with something an undiagnosed something. And that, I think if you can do that in a story, 
that is a hell of an accomplishment to give someone the space to think about their own relationship with their parents like you did. So um, hats off. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me because that's that's very powerful. I'm very I'm happy that it sparked something in you, made you think about that. If I had to bet money, which I don't because I don't have a lot of it, <laughs> I won't be there on her bedside. Mm. You never know, but it just makes you wonder like, okay, maybe it's a possibility. You reminded me of something that I remember hearing again at an Al-Anon meeting, only hurt people hurt other people. Damage people, damage people, hurt people, hurt people, right? Yeah. And that's huge. I mean, to you like to have that realization to go, wait a minute, you know, maybe they're an asshole because they had a shitty childhood and, you know, they were really deeply wounded and it's so hard to see that or accept that when you are the recipient of their dysfunction. Uh, nobody, very few people, maybe nobody, but certainly very few as like kids or teenagers grows up thinking or, or dreaming like, I want to be a shitty parent. <laughs> right. Like I'm looking forward to not taking care of my kids well or fucking them up. Nobody like. So yeah, there's just something happens along the way and life happens and you do the best you can. I know it sounds cliche, but I do believe that. Mm-hmm. But it, the best you can sometimes just isn't enough. Right. And I think too, for me, that ending of that story is the fact that I saw her as a human being. Like mm-hmm. it, it was a shift in, you know, because up until that point, she had been this evil mother, you know, that I hated that. Right. And and all I saw her was her role in life was as this mother who gave me a hard time in life. And until that moment, I don't really think I saw her as, as her own person. And I don't know, I know there's a better word or phrase there and I can't think of what it is, but you know, she, she had her own life mm. before I came along. And when you're a kid, you're so self-involved, you're so self-centered, you know, you don't consider the fact that your parents had a whole other life before you came along, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and so for me, that moment, even though it took me till I was 25 to see it, it was that moment where I'm like, okay, she's her own individual person. She's her own human separate from me and her role as my mother. And, Mm. and now I'm starting to understand a little bit about who she is and why she has treated me the way she has Mm -hmm. and why she is the way she is. So yeah, it was definitely a transformative moment. We would never know this about your life. That's one of the great things about storytelling. It's not the only vehicle, but it's certainly one of the more powerful ones and accessible ones is I wouldn't know this about you. And now I do. And okay, you know, maybe that's a lot of information for someone you don't know very well. (laughs) But, you know, it's this cool way of, like you said earlier, like connecting and maybe I think you use the word, I, I always think about it as like people feeling less alone and you feeling more connected, like you're not the only one going through something. Yes. You know, that's the power. Mm -hmm. We came to sort of a place of accepting each other and caring about each other and loving each other. And, Mm. and so I genuinely did really love her, you know, like the last part of her life was, um, you know, we got along, we didn't used to get along, but we got along. I mean, yeah, you used to have at least one point in your life, you had a knife in your hand. (laughs) Yeah. You had some certain pretty extreme thoughts. Yes. And then, so that's a hell of a, that's changed too. Yeah, it is. Big change. 
Awesome. Thanks, Diane. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. That was a really lovely surprise and especially for my first story. So thank you. All right, Diane. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to Diane up in Massachusetts. Thanks for your story and for the talk. Remember, we've got a lot of events and classes coming up, so I will put all that information in the show notes. Check it out. And again, if you listen on Apple, rate and review this podcast. It really does help. That's all for episode number 25. Boom.